Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is an author and journalist who has won 10 Associated Press Sports Editor Awards, six Football Writers Association of America Awards, and seven Florida Sports Writers Association Awards. When he's not writing, he's on the air hosting a weekly radio show since the late 1990s on WMEL 1300 AM. It's a pleasure to welcome Peter Karasotis to WLIE Sports Talk New York. And joining him on the phone is a man who is a former Major League Baseball outfielder, first baseman, manager. He managed the Montreal Expos and the San Francisco Giants. He was the first Dominican to play regularly in the major leagues. He is the most prominent member of one of the sport's most notable families of the late 20th century. He is the oldest of the trio of baseball-playing brothers that included Matty and Jesus. They were both primarily outfielders, and his son Moises was also primarily an outfielder. All but Jesus have been named All-Stars at least twice. It's a pleasure to welcome three-time All-Star in the 1990s. 94 Manager of the Year and an inductee into both the Canadian and Latino Hall of Fame, the one and only Felipe Alou. Welcome, Felipe. Welcome, Peter. How you guys doing? Thank you. Thank We're you doing great after well that here. introduction. <laughs> only Florida today. It's a lot better in Florida than it is here in New York, for sure. <laughs> Peter, first of all, I have to commend you on a wonderful book. As radio hosts, journalists, or media, we get to meet a lot of amazing people with great stories to tell. Can you tell us how you met Felipe, Felipe and how you knew that his story was one that needed to be told? Well, when he was managing the Montreal Expos, I was working for a Gannett paper called Florida Today. And Vieira was where the Expos used to spring train, and then later the, the uh, Washington Nationals spring train. And then going back years ago, the Houston Astros used to spring train in this county as well. So as a columnist, I was looking for story ideas during spring training, and I you know, grew up during the 60s and 70s, and I was well aware of the Alou brothers, had seen them play, uh, saw Maddie and Felipe play at Yankee Stadium, and as a kid I remember getting Jesus's autograph in uh, Cocoa, Florida, when the Astros were spring training there. And I noticed when I was looking at Felipe's bio as manager of the Expos that he had started his career in Cocoa, Florida, which is in our circulation area, is one town over from where I grew up. And I went up to him before a spring training game behind the batting cage, introduced myself, and I said, uh, Mr. Lou, I don't know if you remember starting your minor league career in Cocoa, Florida back in 1956. I said, it's only about five miles away from here. Well, he remembered everything, uh, the street he lived on, the family that housed him, where he used to fish. He led the Florida State League in batting, told me the story about how he was sent initially to Louisiana to play, how they wouldn't let him play because of segregation, how he got on a bus. Uh, the Giants sent him down to Coco. His dream was to become a doctor. He was in school to become a doctor. He wanted to stay on the bus and go all the way to Miami, get on a flight, go back to the Dominican, continue his studies and become a medical doctor. And I knew right then he had all the ingredients for a book. And uh, several years later, when I got laid off, I, uh, a good friend of mine is Bruce Bochy, the, the San Francisco Giants manager, and I mentioned to him that I always thought Felipe Alou would be a good book, and he kind of facilitated it. And finally we convinced Felipe to 
uh, to tell his life story, and then after that we got working on the project. And, and I, I do believe it is an important historical story for his country and this country that needed to be told. Absolutely. Uh, Felipe, first of all, my all-time favorite baseball card is probably my 1969 Topps card number two, the 1968 NL batting leaders, showing Pete Rose, Maddie, and you on the front of the card. As a nine-year-old back then, I knew that it was something special, but until I read Pedro Martinez's forward in the book, I never really fully comprehended that you really are the Jackie Robinson of the Dominican Republic, how you opened the door for a country and now, which now produces more Major League yeah. Baseball players than any other country outside the U.S. You were the first to go from the Dominican soil to the Major League Baseball, the first Dominican to play in a World Series, first Dominican manager. When you read Pedro's forward um, and what you meant to him as a Dominican, what was the first thing that came to your mind? Well, the first thing is, you know, the Dominican have all the way produced uh, tremendous players. Uh, people just didn't know that. Maybe in the Negro League they knew a little bit about it. Um but there were no scouts, really no ways, plus the race problem. Most, most of the Dominican players, I believe 99% of the players to this day are black Dominican players, poor, coming from poor family. So I, I, I'm one of those guys, and Pedro is one of those guys. Uh, I know the door, it was a big door that was open, but it was a big door for a lot of players to come. And the door is still open, wide open. I'll be continuous uh, number of good ball players coming out of the Dominican Republic, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, I had the opportunity to tell my story. Uh, thank you <laughs> to Peter. Uh, Peter Carasori did a great job writing the book. I mean, everybody that reads the book, tell me, hey, what a well-written book. And I said, listen, I, I didn't write it. I told, I told Peter my story, and he wrote it like it was me, really, who was writing it. It's incredible. You know, and I, I, I like my book. Uh, <laughs> I, I was uh, talking and reading my book, so I, I didn't have to read it after, after the book was published. <laughs> Peter, you mentioned how Bruce Bochy was instrumental in getting this book done, but you, know, I, you kind of alluded to it when you're talking about it, but this really took a long time for it to materialize. It is really about seven years in the making, four of them just to coax Felipe into telling his story. So can you tell us a little bit about that process, getting Felipe to commit? Because I know there were certain things that he didn't want to talk about, but then he did, which really is, and I don't want to reveal that because I think people need to come about that particular instance that I'm talking about within the book, but why was it so difficult to coax him? Why did it take so long? As a writer, when he's telling me, and I mean he, I mean Felipe is telling me, if I'm going to do this book, if I'm going to tell my life story, I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to do it 100%. Not everybody tells 100% of their entire life, but you get the gist. He, it, this is not going to be a rah-rah story or just fleshing out box scores this is a family history. This is a history about a country, a dictator. And one of the things he told me was, he said, if I do this book the right way, it's going to hurt people. And I don't, want, I don't mind hurting myself. I don't mind telling stories that cast me in a negative light. I don't mind that. But I don't want to tell stories that may hurt other people. The one story in the book, and... Um, 
there's a fourth Alou brother. There is a fourth Alou brother. There, there very well may have been four Alou brothers who played Major League Baseball. Now think about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's always that joke, who was the fourth Alou <laughs> brother, Boog, Boogaloo. But there is a fourth Alou brother, Jose, who was a baseball player, but because of the revolution that was going on in the Dominican Republic after the dictator Rafael Trujillo was assassinated and circumstances that happened in Jose's life and the life of some other young men in the 60s when the revolution was going on, his life went in a different direction. And so without telling too much, the story of the fourth Alou brother is in the book, and it, it is a powerful story, and uh, it impacts other people outside of the Alou family, and those were some of the things that uh, we in this country don't quite understand. And this is what I really learned from Felipe. One of the things he kept saying is people in the United States do not know what it's like to have their country occupied by another country. When their dictator was assassinated, this country sent upwards of about 40,000 troops to occupy that island. Now, here's a guy who came to this country to play baseball He didn't ask to come here. They came and got him, came to this country, and then they tell him, you can't play in Louisiana because you're black. So then they send him down to Coco. He starts his career. Two years later, he's in the outfield with Willie Mays. Fast forward now about a half a dozen years, and he's back in his country, and the United States is now occupying his country, trying to keep in power the remnants of a brutal dictator. They occupy his family home. U.S. military drives his parents essentially out of their family home and sets up a base on the second, on, you know, two-story home on the roof of this home, and um, and 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 put up, you know, snipers or whatever up on the on the roof. And Felipe is an all-star player, a guy who's played in the World Series, and he's home in the winter. And he's got a U.S. soldier pointing a rifle at him, telling him to get off the street in his neighborhood. And he's listening to this probably 18-, 19-year-old kid now in his country telling him to get off the street in his neighborhood, and he's listening to the accent, and he recognizes it as a Louisiana accent, which is a very distinct accent. And his thought is, wow, six, seven years ago I'm in that country, and that accent is telling me I can't play baseball because of my skin color. Now it's in my country telling me I can't stand on a, on, a, um, on a street in my neighborhood. So these are this is more than just going over box scores and talking about games. Again, th- these are powerful stories for somebody, when you say Jackie Robinson, what he went through to open the door for all of those other players who have come from the Dominican Republic. When he was on that bus going back to Cocoa, Florida, and wanted to go to Miami and go back home, Three thoughts were in his mind. He made a promise to the, to the scout who, who found him and signed him, didn't want to renege on that. He felt like his family name was of utmost importance, and he didn't want to besmirch his family name by reneging on a contract. And he felt like he, he needed to represent his country. And he endured a lot to do those three things, to open the door for all those Dominican players that have followed him into Major League Baseball. 
You know, it's interesting because the, the book does a, a, such a wonderful job of painting the picture of Felipe's early childhood, both the innocence, uh, such as skinny dipping in the rain ritual, throwing <laughs> coconuts and, and fishing, and, and his dad, and, and then the dictatorship. And, and you mentioned it, it goes beyond the box scores, but the book also does a wonderful job of weaving beyond the box score moments, the players, the social climate. The book details a classic seven-game 1962 World Series between the Giants and Yankees. Felipe, you played every inning in right field, got seven hits in the 29 at-bats, but it seems the at-bat you have never forgotten was in the ninth inning of the final game. Giants trailing one nothing. Your brother Matty leads off with a bunt single. You try to sacrifice him to second. The book details that at-bat, and all these years later, that at-bat still bothers you to this day. Why does it bother you so much? Well, it bothers me because... Uh, you see, the bunt, uh, baseball now really don't like bunting much. <laughs> but as a manager, <laughs> I love bunting and get people over. And uh, myself as a player in the last year in the World Series, I, did, I, I didn't get to bunt my brother over. Uh, after I failed, I uh, struck out in a hit and run play. You know, they changed the sign and I struck out. And then. Uh, a kid named Chuck Hiller made the second one out, and then Willie May hit a ball to right field, in which uh, Roger Maris made a great stop, you know, keeping it from going to the fence. And we wound up with running second and third with two out. You see, had I moved my brother over, that game was going to be tied. Of course, you never know what was going to happen, but Willie May hit that, hit that double running second base instead of running first base. So I blame myself. This is going to go with me to, to my grave. <laughs> um, anytime I see a, a, a bunter or a player who's supposed to but not being able to get the job done, it reminds me of my failure. I believe the bunt should be one of the easiest part of hitting that a player could execute, and I didn't do it. If it bothers you that much, I'm giving you fair warning. Do not watch the Mets, please, because you <laughs> right, will be so aggravated. Although Mets fans remember Chuck Hiller. Yes, they do. They it's do. One of, the third base, one of so, their many third basemen. So, but that you're talking about, was it made me worse? This was a seven-game series. It was a tight, it was a close series, and I'm a little older than Mark, so I remember a the little? series. A little? A little. Okay, I'm, I'm Don't I'm flatter older. yourself. You're a lot I, older. I, I remember <laughs> the series, but, you know, in, in terms of, it is, was it made any worse by the fact that it was a one nothing game? Or just that it was a seven-game series, and tough, you know, and you felt you could have done something to win it, you know, win it all. That's right. And it was nothing big. Just to get, bunt, uh, brought my brother over the second. Now you know, Alvin Dark, our manager, was a great manager. And he didn't use bunting too much. I, I, I don't remember being actually bunt before the World Series. <laughs> I had, I had one of. Uh, greatest year of my career. I hit 316, drove in 98 runs, mostly as a leader of hitter. And uh, so really, bunter was a little bit kind of strange to me, but we used to bunt, and they still do. Before swinging the bat, usually the guy bunt twice. Oh, so. age, right. But anyway, I, I, didn't, I didn't do my job. <laughs> You, you talk about Alvin Dark was, was a great manager. Alvin Dark was a controversial manager, especially in terms of dealing with minority players and Latino players. So on balance, what are your feelings about Alvin Dark, you know, overall playing for him? You said he was a great strategic manager. What about as a manager overall? Well, this guy really, he was a baseball player. I remember him, all the players playing 
the National League. He was a very smart player, clutch fielder, clutch uh, hitter. And I remember the Giants. I was a Giants player when, when we traded Andrew Rogers to Milwaukee for Alvin Dark, who was a, a regular player. So really we got a regular player to manage the, the team who was like 38, 39 years old. Uh, at the beginning, really, he didn't know a whole lot about people's relations, especially with the Latinos and black. And he was not as good as manager the first year, but the second year, he, he was all business. And he led us to, to the World Series. Uh, he, he knew the game from top to bottom uh, because he was such a smart player. He was controversial. But at the end of his life, you know, he, he made an incredible comeback as a very nice and sweet person. You know, he apologized to every Latino player that he offended. And he told me all about that. You know, he apologized to Cepeda, to myself, to Pagan, to all of the Latino Giants players. Wow. You know, Peter, a couple of years ago, AJ and I had Arnold Hano on our show, and he talked about the Sport Magazine article he did with mm -hmm. Felipe. At what point in the process did you read that article again? And when you read that article that was written so many years ago, when you read that today, what were your initial thoughts? Uh, so, great question. Um, Arnold Haino was a is still alive. He's yep. in his nineties. Yeah. Legendary sports writer, and Arnold Felipe and I would get together during spring training, and I would spend about a week with him at his villa. And there was um, it's a it's a nine conference. It's like Saber, and it's a, it's called Nine, and they have their conference out there during spring training in Phoenix. And the editor on the project wanted to know if we could come by and and uh, get together, and Arnold was there. I had no idea about this Sport Magazine article, and just so your listeners know what, what we're talking about, uh, right before Felipe was traded from the Giants to then the Milwaukee Braves, Arnold Haino came to him to write a first-person piece for Sport Magazine, which uh, for some of our younger listeners <laughs> rivaled yeah. Sports Illustrated in, in writing, although it wasn't a weekly, it was a monthly yeah. But some really, really great writer, writers in writer, writing in Sport Magazine. So Felipe did a first-person article in Sport Magazine about what Latino players go through in Major League Baseball. How sports writers, uh, and, and this is well known with Roberto Clemente, how they would uh, quote them verbatim with the broken English, which is understandable because this is not their first language. And, and it was so demeaning what, what they would put them through or what Alvin Dark did. Alvin Dark forbade the Latino players from talking Spanish to each other. Here you've got Felipe Alou and Matty Alou, two brothers, being told you can't speak to each other in your native tongue. So this was a first-person article that also included what Felipe called the Latino Baseball Bill of Rights, how you have to do this, this, this to succeed in Major League Baseball, you have to out-hustle the other people. You have to overcome these certain prejudices, preconceived notions, all the different things. When you read that from 55 years ago, it, it is so prescient. It's so, it's so ahead of its time that you read it and you could almost apply it to today. So when I read it, I was, I was blown away by it. 
I didn't know it existed, and the decision that I made in writing this book, how am I going to how am I going to introduce this to the reader? Because if I didn't know about it, many other people don't know. I decided to just verbatim put the whole article in the book, and when you read that, you can't help it coming away and understanding the, the stature of this man. And there's a whole chapter in the book about. Felipe's friendship with Roberto Clemente, how they not only were pioneers and the Jackie Robinsons of what was coming with the Latino players, but how ahead of their time they were for standing up for their rights and for understanding what was going through and helping those that were coming behind them. That article and, and probably caused Felipe to get traded from the Giants uh, to the Milwaukee Braves. There were other factors involved. He was standing up to some of the uh, some of the racist questions that were coming from Alvin Dark at the time about uh, you know players maybe uh, becoming too friendly with white women and different things like that. And he was not afraid to to challenge and to speak up and to and stand up for for himself and for other players. Uh, you know, there's a story in in the book about uh, when they were playing in Houston and. And back then, they were just starting to have post-game buffet tables for players. Now it's normal. You walk into a post-game clubhouse, and there's all kinds of catered food then. But they were just starting to do that. Well, it was a bad loss. It was The floor was a dirt floor in the, in the clubhouse in Houston. And Alvin Dark comes in angry, and he, he tips over the whole food table, and food goes flying everywhere. And a hard-boiled egg that had been peeled is rolling across the floor. Now, Felipe comes from a, a, a country where many people live in poverty. He picks up this egg that had been rolling across dirt, brushes off some of the dirt, and, and starts eating it and tells Alvin Dark, there are people in this world who are starving. You don't do this and waste food like this. And then he was also sympathetic to the husband and wife that had prepared this post-game meal for the players. Can you imagine a player standing up to a manager in that way today? This is what that article that you're talking about in Sport Magazine about 55 years ago and those other things, you can appreciate why this man wasn't just somebody who played Major League Baseball from a Latino country, how saying that he was the Jackie Robinson of his country is not an understatement. It's not hyperbole. Absolutely not. And, you know, it's interesting, having gone through the process of writing uh, books myself, when you come across, you know, a story and you come across it in a strange way, I know it's an adrenaline rush, and, you know, you came across the, the story that, you know, we all know that the three Alou brothers played in the outfield together, but we didn't know the backstory. You really tell the story how Willie Mays was instrumental in doing that. Felipe, you accomplished so much in your baseball life, but I have to imagine that day, September 15th, 1963, when Matty and Jesus and yourself became the first and as today only all brother outfield to play in the outfield at the same time has to rank number one take us through that moment and what you're thinking standing in center field between Maddie and Jesus and it should also be noted that people might not know this in that particular game you know Felipe played all three positions in the outfield at one point in that game and actually went three for five in that game as well but take us through that moment when you look to your left and you look to your right and you know from where you came from to be standing in an outfield with your two brothers well, uh, that particular game, I was under tremendous pressure being the, the oldest one of the three. 
Uh, but I, I knew I knew that was something different. Uh, I said I was under pressure because I, I wanted everything to to be okay. Even if we didn't get a hit or anything, just don't mess up the game. Don't drop a fly ball. I mean, stuff like that. And, and it went well. Um, not only that, uh, I thought we were representing our family. Not so much at that time our country. Representing the country, it came back to us because we had played in winter ball many, many years. The three are losing the outfield. But to happen in the big leagues, you know, it was something bigger, and it gets bigger every every year. It hasn't happened, and I often tell people, listen, I don't know if that will ever happen. People don't have many many kids anymore. <laughs> now, we were six children, four boys and two girls, and we had three three guys play the outfield and play on the same team. That that's going to be some something hard to. To, to do, I mean, I mean, you ha- you have to have a bunch of boys of major league caliber and play for the same team and play in the outfield all three. So <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's I, ever happening. I think that part is, is secure for a few years to come. I, I don't think that's happening ever, ever again. But you know, after your playing days are over, you went um, some pretty dark times. You experienced some family tragedy during that period. Moises, your son's strength inspires you, and you make it back to the, ma- the majors as a manager. In both your stops, you get to manage Moises. So what's the experience, what's the difference between managing your son as opposed to playing with your brothers? Which one has a bigger sense of pride for you? It's a a bigger difference, much bigger difference. I had to give out the entire credit for playing the three brothers in one game. He didn't have to do that, but nevertheless he did it. Now... For me, managing my son, it is pressure because I, I, I have some other outfielders. Especially in Montreal, I had Rondell White was a common star player. And uh, all of a sudden, Moises is on the team, and I have four outfielders. So I was very, very hard on Moises, very tough. I made him earn his, his being a regular player. Sometimes he came to my office. Like any other player would have come by and asked, how come I'm not, not in the lineup? I, Moise has always been a, a tough customer. <laughs> as a hitter, as an outfielder, and as a player in general. And he's it's a straight, straight thrower, you know. And uh, he, he did it to me many times, and I kept telling him, listen, you have to have patience. You know, you're going to overcome, and he did. I, I got to give him a lot of credit for that. But the pressure to manage your own son is... is you son better be a good player. You know? <laughs> well, you know, how, how much did you want him to be a player? You, know, you wanted to be a doctor at one point. You remember being a baseball player. Do you ever want your son to be a doctor instead of a baseball player? Well, my son, Moses, was really was a basketball guy in high school. And, uh, and one day he told his mother he wanted to play ball. And uh, his mother, Maria, put him and Brother Jose Olu in uh, and Manuel Mota, Manny Mota had a school for young kids. And that's how uh, Moises Alouz and Jose Alou, who now is scouts for the, for the Giants, they became baseball players. And then the Pirates selected Moises number one in one of those uh, January drafts that they used to have. I don't know if they still have that. 
And Jimmy Leland one day, Jimmy Leland was managing the Pirates. Jimmy Leland one day told me, Felipe, you know, your son is going to be a good player. I really didn't know Moises Alou, the player, you know, but he was with the Pirates. And in winter, boy, he was playing with another team in the city of Santiago. So I really didn't get to see him play minor league ball. And I guess Leland was right. <laughs> Absolutely was. You know, Peter, I think you really get a sense. You know, you mentioned, you know, a lot of different instances where we really get a sense of who Felipe is. But, you know, there's a very subtle mention in the book, which I really think kind of sums up Felipe. And, and, you know, if you're not paying attention, you might miss it. So I, I just wanted to bring it up that Felipe goes out of his way to acknowledge Ozzy Virgil Sr., who is not really a full-blooded Dominican, but who was born in the Dominican Republic, mostly grew up in the Bronx. But So while Felipe is the first to go from the Dominican soil to Major League Baseball, it's important to him to make sure that Ozzy, the first Dominican-born player to make it to Major Leagues, is mentioned. Um, to me, Felipe's sense of pride, not ego, a very quiet humility come through. Is that the sense that you got from him? One of the things in getting to know him in this project is how aware he is of people around him. Little people, big people, nothing goes unnoticed. Uh, and you know in dealing with, with athletes or people who get a lot of adulation, uh, they, they, they kind of get uh, into themselves way, way, way too much. And we see it with athletes today. Nothing escapes his attention as far as showing consideration or compassion or concern for somebody else. And that, that, what you just mentioned, was important to him to make sure that Ozzy Virgil Sr. was not overlooked or that there wasn't the perception that he was trying to bigfoot the fact that Ozzy was born in the Dominican and did make it to Major League Baseball prior to him. But if you talk to Pedro Martinez, Pedro will flat out tell you, yeah, but he was passing through. He uh, grew up in the Bronx. You know, after his career was over, he went to Puerto Rico, not really Dominican. Um, you know, I had to get a lot of that from other people rather than Felipe. Felipe was not, when we were working on this project, there was, there was not the chest pounding <laughs> that you would expect from somebody who's accomplished so much in his career. There was always a concern. Probably the, the hardest part about writing this book was him making sure that nobody got hurt, nobody got overlooked, and that he wasn't trying to make himself out to be something that he wasn't and that it was a balanced look at his life. And, uh, you, you know, as a writer, uh, you know, there are some times where you're, you're trying to prod him along uh, because of what he accomplished, but I uh, had to prod him. It wasn't. It wasn't that he was pounding his chest and saying, "We need to. We need to do this. We need to do that." Um, it was more so we need to make sure that people are recognized and that people are not hurt. It's an absolutely tremendous book. There's so many great backstories. The backstory between the Henry Aaron and Enrico Cardi. Just, just so many great baseball stories as well as historic. So, Peter, thank you for you know staying on it, continuing to coax him and, and Bruce Bochy. Felipe, thank you for finally agreeing. Tremendous book, tremendous insight to it. Uh, I loved it. Thank you guys so much for coming on with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you so much. 
You guys have a great night, Felipe Alou. Yeah, you too. Thank you. You got Peter Karastotis. The book is available on Amazon. Uh, tremendous, tremendous book.